0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning, Bethlehem. As Pastor Stephen mentioned earlier this morning, my name is Tuzong Zong Zong. I am Hmong American, and I'm a student at Bethlehem College and Seminary. So my wife and I, we've been attending, we've been members at Bethlehem North Campus for two years now. And... We just had our first baby this summer. Thank you. And we're hoping to have four more just so that we can hit the average at North Campus. (laughs) But let me just say that I can't express the appropriate words on what a privilege it is to be here at this pulpit in this church God used this place to transform me. Fundamentally, when I came here to visit in 2013, when someone randomly handed me a copy of Desiring God, and it changed me forever. Now, would you join with me as I ask the Lord for his help? Father, we ask that you come meet us this morning. We ask that you make us alive cut through our indifference and satisfy our parched souls give us eyes to see and greater longings to see your son do this by your spirit for your glory for our joy in jesus name amen O lord our lord how majestic is your name in all the earth You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the fields, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas and whatever else passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That was from Psalm 8. Now, would you turn your bibles there to psalm 8 as we expound from that text this morning and as you turn there i want to give a little background to why i chose this specific text for this week so this summer uh the elders at north campus they asked me if i if i would like to preach for bethlehem college and seminary focus sunday and i was just in utter disbelief me? Really? You got the right Tuzong? Wait. <laughs> so, I, if, if you observe me around my peers, I, I'm, I'm timid. I'm shy. I, I tend to shrink. So, but for whatever reason, I, I didn't say no. And, and God made it clear to me that the question isn't who is Tuzong? God is saying, who am I? And God said, I am a God who enjoys using the weak to make much of myself. So Bethlehem, I come before you, considering myself weak in front of you. And this brings us to Psalm 8. And the message of this psalm is that God delights to reveal his glory in the world by using weak people to do his great work work and there are three specific things that i want us to look at from this psalm there are three things and it's very easy it's god's name god's plan and the god man god's name god's plan and the god man so look with me at verse 1 in psalm 8 it says "O lord our lord how majestic is your name and all the earth so probably the one structural pattern that stands out easily is this first sentence and the last sentence of the song and it's no mistake this is what scholars call a a literary device called inclusio which is just a fancy word that just think of it like a sandwich there's a bracket at the beginning and at the end and there's repetition why is it there because it's meant to signal to us that this entire psalm is meant to serve this theme god's majestic name in all the earth now the word majesty isn't something that you and i we would use normally every day i mean what was the last time you used the word majesty other than we what we just sang earlier oh man that was a majestic burger Hi, your majesty. No, it's, it's, it's a bit archaic. We don't ever use the word majesty. So to define it, according to most commentators, majesty is a word that draws attention to one's greatness, to one's victories, and to one's rules. So consider with me Exodus chapter 15, verses 6 to 7. This is after the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea And they sung to the Lord, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. See that he's drawing attention to the Lord's victory and his rule. But who is this Lord? If you look in your Bibles in verse 1, notice that there are two different lords in verse 1. The first word, Lord, is all capitalized, and the second one only has a capital L. Well, this is because these are two different words in the Hebrew. The first one, with all caps, is the translation of God's personal name, Yahweh. This is the name that God took to himself and put down in the text. When Moses goes to the Lord in the prospect of having to go to Pharaoh, Moses says, Who shall I say sent me? And God responds, I am sent you. Say to the people, I am sent me. In Exodus 3.14. So God made himself known by name and his name signifies the essence of who he is so so god is essentially saying that i am god i am self-existent i am your god i am the covenant god of abraham isaac and jacob i alone am god and then the second word lord is a different word that means in the sense of a king or a master. So, in other words, what David is saying here in verse 1 and in verse 9, O Yahweh, our King, how great, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Notice that God's name extends not in all of the earth, but his glory, that is the manifestation of who he is and what he is, extends above the heavens notice the contrast between heaven and earth the reference between heaven and earth is meant to signal this this totality of all of creation in other words all heaven and all of earth are proclaiming the very exact same thing yahweh is great Now, let me put this into perspective. So imagine a scenario where where we, we put God on trial. Now, again, hypothetical scenario. God can never be put on trial. But imagine a scenario where God is put on trial. And sometimes, in a trial, the defense will call people to testify as a character witness. So if God was put on trial, if his greatness was put on trial, God could summon everything heaven and earth to declare his majesty think about that but here's the ironic twist when we look at the verses between one and nine david says god's greatness is not seen in dramatic expressions of power but rather god's greatness is seen when he uses babies to steal the enemies and when he uses weak insignificant men to rule the world this is God's plan to make his to make his majesty known so look with me at verse 2 so the first thing he says after heralding the greatness of God's majesty in all the earth and above the heavens. In verse 2, it says, Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. And so, do you, do you notice the contrast there? It goes from all of the earth to the highest heavens to babies, babies, weak insignificant babies very recently Texas introduced a law that effectively banned abortion after six weeks of gestation but just before that law took effect on September 1st did you guys know this? that it was reported that in 17 hours in one clinic workers performed 67 abortions just to beat the clock on the, on the state's new r- restrictions Sixty-seven weak and dependent babies murdered in 17 hours. Do you see how disposable babies are in the world's eyes? How weak and how dependent they are? Much of the world doesn't even blink at the murder of 67 babies in the womb. But yet God says that he will make his majesty known through babies. Not in a dramatic expression of power but surprisingly out of the mouth of babies and it's out of these mouths that god stills his enemies he puts them to silence and they don't have the last say and we see this in jesus earthly ministry look with me to matthew chapter 21 so in in Matthew chapter 21, here's the context. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He, he just cleansed the temple. He heals the lepers. Then in Matthew 21, starting in verse 15, it says, in verse 15, the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David! And they were indign- indignant, and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing, nursing babies you have prepared praise? In other words, Jesus says to the priests and the, and the scribes, have you never read Psalm 8? Isn't that like just the, one of the worst things someone can say to you? You have a lofty argument and then someone just comes and says, have you never read? It's Have you never read Psalm 8? Don't you know the meaning of Psalm 8? Majesty through babies to defeat enemies. Don't you realize how the world really works? Don't you know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be gentle and lowly? No, you don't. You don't get it at all. So what's happening here in Matthew 21 is that Psalm 8 is being fulfilled because of these babies, these children, Are being used to still God's enemies. And the scribes and the chief priests they have no more to say. They're they're gone. They're off the scene and the children's praises won the day. So let that sink in, Bethlehem, that God establishes his strength, not through the lips of the wise and the aged, but through the chubby lips of babies. Parents, let this be an encouragement to you. The times that you spend changing diapers, folding hands to pray, bathing, staying up, rocking the baby to sleep, it is not done in vain. God is making his name majestic in this world through you. And he's establishing his strength in the world through your children as they learn to praise him. Parenting is where Satan hopes to do his worst work, but yet it's often where he sees his worst defeat. So, so parents, continue to put your hands on the plow. Continue to point your children to Jesus. And, but know that the ultimate decisive pointing belongs to God. But keep trusting in his infinite wisdom, keep praying, keep pointing them. To Jesus. And children, let this be an encouragement to you as well. Do you know, quick question, do you know what Satan's favorite question is? His favorite question, I think, is, did God really say? Did God really say? And he hates it when you say, yeah, the Bible told me so. Yes, Jesus loves me silence so we see god makes his majesty known through weak babies what else does he does look with me at verses three and four the second thing david says in verses three and four when i look at your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars which you have set in place what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. So when David looks at the night sky, he sees all of God's fingerworks. He sees the work of a divine craftsman. So keep in mind that David doesn't know all of the complexities that we know today about the galaxies. Okay, when he's just looking at the skies, he, he's just seeing stars. We, we know a whole lot more than he does right now. If, if you were to ask him, hey David, how did... How did God exactly paint the Milky Way galaxy with his finger? He had no idea what you're talking about. What did David know? So David would have known that night followed day, he would have been able to observe certain structures in the night sky, but he doesn't know a fraction of what we know. But he knew enough, and that he knew enough to say that when I look at this, when I look at the heavens, there must be something or someone behind this. And that someone is you, Yahweh. You are the creator, God. So what do we know that he doesn't know? Well, we, we know that, that the universe is a lot bigger than, than he would have ever imagined. So consider this. I don't know how accurate this is, but follow along. So if, if the earth was the size of a grain of sand... The sun will be the size of a billiard ball. Now, if the sun was the size of a billiard ball, our solar system will be the size of four football fields. And if our solar system was the size of four football fields, the Milky Way galaxy would still be 28 million miles wide. Grain of sand. 28 million miles wide what is man what is God like if the universe is that big so no wonder why David starts and ends with God's majesty and it's no surprise why, why David would ask what is man that you are mindful of him given, given that what I see in all of creation what are we that you would even consider us that you even think about us so this isn't a, a, a philosophical question it's a it's a cry from the heart he's saying what am i to you do you even care about me about little men what am i to you and i wonder if we'd ask the same question as well to god God, do you, do you care? Who am I to you? Then in verses 5 to 7 comes a surprise. David says, yet, in verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And then you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. So David is saying that through insignificant men... God rules the world. Weak men, God rules the world through them. And notice that David says that humans are crowned with glory and honor. And I think that this is a reference to Genesis, the first three chapters of Genesis, specifically Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, Let us make man in our image and our likeness he's referencing to that man is made in the image and the likeness of god that god made mankind distinct from animals and given him dominion over the earth so don't miss the point here it, just as god used babies to steal the enemies god uses man to rule his glorious creation and these are two instances of god's majesty is shown on the earth and that god delights to use weak things to make much of him so you're probably wondering okay why why does god enjoy why does god delight in using the weak it's because when god uses the weak his glory shines forth because it's much more obvious that the power is coming from him and not from us when god uses the weak it is clear that god is the one who's in control when god is the one who has the power this same theme is found in paul's letter consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 to 29 it says god chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise god chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong god chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring nothing that things are so that no human being might boast in the presence of god so what god wants from us is our weakness that is he wants our utter reliance on him God wants sincere, childlike faith. He wants trusting praise. He wants us to come to him with our weakness. And this is good news. Why? Because we're weak. We're weak. However, the bad news is that not many of us recognize that, and not many of us are willing to admit it. One of the ways that the world addresses weaknesses is that when you feel weak, just, just fake it. Just pretend it. Fake it till you make it. It worked in high school, but I don't think it's going to work in life, for me at least. Just pretend. Put on a good face. Just, just self-positive thinking. Just, just do it. But yet scripture says recognize your utter dependency and let God's strength flow in you. Now, now, to be clear, being weak doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue excellence. Not at all. Being weak, on the contrary, means that we shouldn't pursue excellence that's not done in the conscious reliance on God and in the deliberate pursuit of his majestic name. So yes, pursue excellence, but in your pursuit of excellence, don't forget God. Don't, re- don't forget to rely on him. And more importantly, do it to the praise of his majestic name. So let me ask you today, Bethlehem, is God calling you to a task that you think you're too inadequate for, that you're too weak to do? Perhaps it's sharing the gospel with your fellow neighbor or your co-worker or the person who sits next to you in your classrooms. Is it to endure the loss of a loved one? Is it to talk to the person next to you after service? What is the task that you think that you are too inadequate to do? So, And remember that God isn't looking for your strength. He isn't looking for your natural gifts, but he's inviting you. Bring your weaknesses to me. Come to me. God wants your reliance. And because his power is made perfect in your weakness. So thus far we've seen God's name. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh. And what is his plan? His plan is to make his majesty known through weak babies and insignificant men. So let's move on to verse 6. Okay, what does it mean then? Right. So if, if God rules the world with, with babies and, and weak men to have dominion over the earth, what does that even mean? So in verse 6, it says, you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, you put all things under his feet. So what is dominion exactly? So again, dominion is a word that we would probably never use. I don't remember the last time I used dominion other than right now. So think of dominion as a taking of chaos and bringing order to it that results in in human flourishing. So I like to think of of when I come home from my classes and the trash is full and there's, there's a spider that my wife is too scared to kill. Uh, I'm, I'm coming in and I am exercising dominion right there. I'm going to take out the trash. I'm going to kill that spider. I'm bringing order to this chaos. So God says that he gave dominion us Dominion over the works of his hands. But does it look like we have dominion right now? Does man really have dominion? Recently, on September 19th, a volcano erupted, killing at least three people and leaving hundreds homeless. Does that look like dominion to you? Recently, in China, an earthquake shook the foundations, leaving hundreds homeless again does that look like dominion and if you haven't noticed there's a global pandemic that's occurring in the world does that look like dominion to you there's mosquitoes that kills millions through malaria does that look like dominion what does it mean david that 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 god has given man dominion over the works of his hands what does it mean that all things are under his feet? It sure doesn't look like dominion. So we see things are not quite as they should be because of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And so the big question is, if, if, if God never lies, if God's word is true, so, so when and how would this happen? because right now it doesn't look like we're having dominion so i hope you feel that tension god said we would have dominion yet there's no dominion the authors of the new testament they address this tension for us and if you look with me to hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5 in hebrews chapter 2 at verse 5 it says for it was not angels god subjected the world to come of which we are speaking it has been testified somewhere what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor putting everything in subjection under his feet so notice that the author of hebrew quotes from psalm 8 from verses 4 to 6 Let's keep reading, starting and continue on verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing out of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So the author of Hebrew, he's drawing to something that's amiss here. That, that we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Who is him? I think that's a reference to the first Adam We do not see all things under Adam, our representative head. We do not see all things under man's feet. Continuing in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So the first hymn, I believe, is a reference to the first Adam. The second hymn, in verse 9, is re- referencing to the second Adam, Christ. And now I, I think the author, the author of Hebrews is going with the original intention of Psalm 8. Psalm 8 says that God put all things in subjection, under the feet of mankind. But we don't see it that way. We don't see it. But what do we see? We see him, Christ. Why is this important? So consider with me all the questions that we've been wrestling with thus far. How, how does God deal with evil and suffering? How does God deal with his enemies? Does God even care? What is man that you are mindful of him? I think all of those answers are rightly found in the second Adam, the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate proof that God cares. That he took on flesh. He dwelt among us. The painter stepped into the painting. And he died on the cross. Why? For our sins. Why? Because he cares. That's the ultimate proof that God cares. And now Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by grace that we might that he might taste death for everyone christ has come to rectify the mess that man has gotten himself into and he takes his place he dies rises again and in christ we will rule forever in christ all things will be under our feet and God will silence his enemies forever. And death will not have the last say. Isn't that amazing? Now, if, if, if there's one thing that I, I, I want us to walk away with, it, it, it's this. Be in awe of our majestic God. Yes, it's, it's, it's nice to always be seeking after specific points of, of application, which is not a bad thing. But sometimes, if not all the time, the specific point of application is just worship the glorious God. Worship the Creator. Worship the I Am. So how, how do we do that? Okay, we we worship God, but how? I think we do this by beholding Jesus Christ. We, we look to him. We, we admire him. We be in awe of him. Yes, Yahweh is God's name, but he also has another name. Did you know? It's Jesus. So if today, if you don't know a glorious God, I invite you to come and look at the Jesus of the Bible. Look to him and pray that you would see him as he is, glorious. He invites you to come and find rest in him. And this is the Christian life. The gospel isn't for winners. It's it's for losers. The baptism isn't for the strong for the winners. It's for losers. It's for the weak. And he invites you to come. Oh, come to him. So we've seen God's name. He is Yahweh. He had given dominion to man over the works of his hands. Yet because of the fall, we forfeited that. But yet in Christ, the God-man, we regain Dominion because he deals with sin and death, he silences his enemies forever. And now, in Christ, we serve with him in him forever. And that's Psalm 8. Isn't that just beautiful? Do you see the the logic there? Psalm 8 is a beautiful statement of man's destiny as he was created, and we will regain that dominion with him forever and ever and now this is just pure speculation but i last night i I couldn't help but notice that the the night stars and the moons and the heavens i wonder again pure speculation i wonder if one day we'd be able to say no not there let's put over here what do you think jesus Let's pray. Majestic God, how is it possible that we will fill your mind? You love and care for us so much that you are willing to become a weak and vulnerable baby all in order to save us. Now help us in all our days to behold you to behold your son in all that we do and help us to be to always be aware father that you do not invite the strong but you invite the weak and you invite us to rely on you to depend on you because when we rely and when we depend on you we make much of you because we're seeing that you, you are capable. You are majestic. You are strong. You are our king. You are God. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples.